It is also traditional on this night in the church that we read the passion story of the Christ. This night we hear that story from the Gospel of John in the 18th and 19th chapters. After Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, if I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. 
Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You are not also one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him saying, Hail, king of the Jews! striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? 
But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, Here is your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but the emperor. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. And carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. 
Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He he who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of, of scripture says, They will look on the one whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus Christ is dead today. We come together on this solemn evening to contemplate this reality. As is customary, we are confronted with the heart-rending words from Isaiah's Suffering Servant Song, which I read for you a few minutes ago. How painful and poignant is this ancient poetic description of the one who suffers so much on behalf of so many. This poem haunts us to this day. We don't know much about how this text came to be. We don't know precisely who wrote it. We don't know specifically by whom the original writer was inspired. We don't even know who the author might have envisioned. We do know that the ideal of the one who comes and suffers for others through his service or her service has been exalted from the very beginning. It goes back to the roots of the most ancient of peoples. Ancient Israel revered its many heroes for their servanthood. Among them, Moses certainly comes quickly to mind. Here was a person who gave up his princely position in Egypt in exchange for duties as a lowly shepherd. He later put himself at great risk by 
seeking the Israelite people's release at the court of Pharaoh. Moses was mocked by his former friends and his family. He was pursued by armies seeking his destruction and his death. And then he was challenged and cursed again and again. And this by the very people that he was leading to the promised land. For this and much more, Moses was exalted and lifted up by God. However, Moses' story does not quite fit the mold of Isaiah's suffering servant. He was not wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, or stricken with a punishment that would make other people whole. We might consider Abraham and Sarah, who were made to suffer the stings of their society as they endured year after year of childlessness. In a cruel twist, this couple's faithfulness was miraculously rewarded with a child very, very late in their lives. And then God tested their faithfulness by requiring their only child, Isaac's sacrifice. Fortunately, Isaac was spared at the last possible moment. But can you imagine the suffering Abraham must have endured at that ancient altar? Still, the suffering Abraham experienced doesn't fit the description of one who bears our infirmities or carries our diseases. The prophet Jeremiah is another who suffered in service to the Lord and in service to the people of Israel. He was required to bring God's word to the people so that they, their holy city, and even the temple were known to be destined for destruction. For this, Jeremiah was defiled, he was denigrated, he was thrown into a pit. He even tortured himself by shouldering a heavy yoke to symbolize the enslavement of the people that was sure to come in the exile. He lived to painfully witness the fulfillment of many of his prophecies and was himself exiled into Egypt. While it was true that Jeremiah was oppressed and afflicted, it could never be said that he did not open his mouth. Nope, Jeremiah doesn't quite fit the suffering servant description either. The story of of the Old Testament is filled with characters like Job and Jonah and Noah and many, many others. All of these clearly serve, suffer, or both. However, the definitive subject of the poem we share on this evening from Isaiah continues to elude us. And so as I prepared this meditation, as is my custom, I, I consulted with others who have worked with this text and have written of their research with it. Each one of us, and those I read, struggled to find some sort of contemporary example for those who suffered for others so that we could make this text relevant to folks who gather on a night like this. We came up with a few shining examples of servanthood, which we can all recall and admire, But like the Old Testament characters, none of our illustrations seem to fit perfectly. 
So in search for an example, in my file cabinet, I came again upon a story I received in my email more than 15 years ago. The story that I share with you now was originally provided by the Wall Street Journal. They published this. Martin Savage of CNN, embedded with the 1st Marine Battalion in Iraq, was talking with four young Marines near his foxhole this morning, live on the network. He had been telling the story of how well the Marines had been looking out for and taking care of him since the war started. He went on to tell about the many hardships the Marines had endured since the war began and how they all look after one another. He turned to the four and he said he had cleared it with their commanders and they could use his video phone to call back home in the United States. The 19-year-old Marine next to him asked Martin if he would allow his platoon sergeant to use his call so that the sergeant might contact his pregnant wife back home, a family he had not been able to talk to for over three months. A stunned savage who was visibly moved by the request nodded his head, and this young Marine ran off to find his sergeant. Savage recovered after a few seconds and turned back to the three young Marines still sitting with him and asked which one of them would like to call home first. The Marine closest to him responded without a moment's hesitation and said, Sir, if it's all the same to you, we would like to call the parents of a buddy of ours, Lance Corporal Brian Busing of Cedar Key, Florida. He was killed on March 23rd near Nazaria. We'd like to see how his folks are doing. At that, Martin Savage totally broke down and was unable to speak. All he could get out before signing off was, where do they get young men like these? This is a story of extraordinary servanthood. The young soldiers did not suffer to an extent that would rise to that described by Isaiah, but this story did give me a place to begin to make the prophet's poem relevant to us in our lives. But there's another email in my files, and it was right behind this one, and it reveals a stunning reality. A day or two after issuing the story about Savage and the Marines in Iraq, the Wall Street Journal printed a retraction, a retraction of the entire account. The news service had been the victim of a hoax. All of it had been made up. More than 15 years ago, this story had made its way onto many 24-hour news services and talk radio stations all across the country. Why did this story have such wide attraction? Why did nearly none of these other news outlets broadcast retractions similar to what the Wall Street Journal did? I have a theory. Over the millennia of human history, we've come to reveal the ideal of the suffering servant. We search for such a person in our past. We pray for such a person in our present. We desire such a person in our future. If we don't recognize such a person among us, 
and we can't find that person in our historical literature, we invent the story. I don't know who wrote the hoax piece that made its way into the country's broadcast news media 15 years ago. And I don't know for sure who wrote the poem in Isaiah 52 and 53. But I think that the process that created the two are one and the same. The human heart yearns for the one who will suffer. And by that servant's suffering, we will all be brought closer to the truth, closer to peace, closer to God. Brevard Childs was one of my generation's leading Old Testament scholars, and he wrote that Isaiah's suffering servant poem is unique in the Bible. There are a few other servant songs, including two others in Isaiah. There are many other biblical passages which describe suffering. But the structure of this poem that we share on this night has no parallel. We hear it as one of a kind stands to reason then that there should be a one-of-a-kind object for this poem. This is the night, brothers and sisters, when we come together to commemorate the one example that does fit this poem exactly. We do not need to search the archives of history. We don't have to consult current events, chronicles, or even look any further in Scripture. He was ordinary in appearance, humble in demeanor. He came and challenged the way of nations, even the Roman Empire. Yet the people came to reject him. All of our infirmities, diseases, transgressions, and iniquities were heaped upon his back. Yet we tend to turn away rather than to follow his example. He carried his own cross. He suffered all of this without complaint, even though he was denied any semblance of justice. No violence or deceit did he commit, even to the end. The end. It came as they nailed him onto that same cross, that obscenely ugly cross atop a repulsive hill, a hill reserved for the torturous death of criminals and the rotting of flesh. It was the plan of God that all of this should come to pass. We, these 2,000 years later, can scarcely understand the why of it all. But by this servant's life, we came to know God with us. The suffering servant made us right with God. His life was given over for our sin. Jesus Christ is dead today.